Hello everyone, welcome to the Writers Review of Riot Act fame. That's the wrong way around, isn't it? Welcome to Riot Act, the Writers Review. This is the Writers Review from the people who make Riot Act. It's me, Stephen Hill, and Renfrey Deadman. We're the two main ones, aren't we? I know you'll say no, but we can do that again. No, no, never do it again. I am, never I am adamant again. against editing Renfrey in, po- in podcast form. I know. We, we, you've got history about being adamant about not editing. Yeah, I have. That's yeah, I don't. I think it's there's. there's there's no point <laughs> if you fuck up you should be held accountable for your fuck ups that is what i believe and uh i stand by it uh, I'm, I, I'm i'm happy to go along with that that's fine all right thanks for being a patron if you are a patron if you're hearing this sort of uh in the middle of 2000 sort of early to mid part of 2019 chances are You've gone over to patreon.com forward slash right act podcast and very, very kindly given us some money. And you get to hear this before other people who uh, who haven't. And if you're li- and if you haven't, chances are you're listening to this sometime in the future. Uh, Post-Brexit. It uh, will be post-Brexit. Netherworld that we're uh, living in. Probably yeah, the um, dystopian mad yeah, the future dystopian that we're living in. Mad future of, of Brexit, post-Brexit <laughs> Britain that you're listening to this. Really should really have contributed some money so you could have yeah. listened to it, you know, before you were living in a skip uh, <laughs> with 40 other people um, <laughs> eating like dead rats. Oh, um, yeah. But anyway, a little bit of politics to start, <laughs> off, to start off with Renfrey. Um, yes, so basically, uh, rioters uh, or patrons over at the uh, Right Act Podcast Patreon page, you get this a little bit earlier. Thanks very much for your contribution. Those of you who don't have it, you could go over there and there's, at this point, a whole kind of catalogue mm. of, um, of people that have suggested albums that we've been doing like we're going to do today, Renfrey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's right, isn't it? And today we want to say a big thank you to Tim Wilson, who is one of our patrons, who suggested the album we're going to talk about today. And that album is The Stunning Mezzanine by Massive Attack Ooh. from uh, 1998. You've given away your, your yes. feelings on the record already. <laughs> yes, I, yes, I have. Yes. Okay. But I think um, most people will probably already know that I love Mezzanine by Massive Attack because anyone who knows anything about me knows that I have good taste in music (laughs) and anyone who has good taste in music and has heard this record, ergo, likes this record. Mm -hmm. Is that fair to say? Um... Yes, to an I extent. I wouldn't trust anyone who said, I think I've got good taste in music and I think Mezzanine by Massive Attack is rubbish. I would go, well, then you haven't got good taste in music. I'd ne- yeah, I certainly wouldn't trust them if they said it was rubbish. I don't yeah. think I don't think it's flawless. Uh, hey, I never said it's flawless. Yeah, 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 by any stretch of the imagination. And I think, um, as we'll get into with this chat, when it's good, I think Mezzanine is absolutely stunning. Yeah. I'm from Bristol, mm-hmm. and uh, so are Massive Attack. And it is actually illegal to dislike Massive Attack if you're from Bristol. Yeah, <laughs> um, pretty so. much. It's a bit um, like not liking Oasis if you're from Manchester. Probably, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Um, so I feel like I really grew up with this band being quite ever present in uh, in my growing up. How familiar um, were you with? Because you're a bit younger than me. Yeah. And this was the first Massive Attack album that I listened to. It must have been the first one that permeated my psyche. Yeah, right, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Did yeah, you yeah. get into it at the time? Um, no. It was quite a slow process, actually. Um. Like I say, it was very much illegal to not like Massive Attack if you were growing up in Bristol, as I was yeah. in the uh, late 90s. Um, so there was sort of an element of, like, I, I heard 
Teardrop and Angel and from the get-go, you know, I absolutely loved those songs. And I enjoyed it as a sort of casual fan rather than um, actually buying the record. Yeah. It wasn't, I mean, funnily enough, I don't know why drama school keeps coming up in these writers' reviews, but we used to do like movement classes to, to teardrop. Teardrop. So did yeah, we. Yeah, yeah, of course. I have got, I, uh, that is so weird that you say that because. And, and, as, and Angel, actually. Right, okay. We, as we used to do a warm up, like yeah. a kind of a movement warm up to teardrop. Yeah. And even now, when I see my friends from drama school, we will still go. We will still like slowly bend down to the floor while going. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's all about. It's all. I think it's. I think it is used commonly at drama schools and stuff mm. because the tempo is perfect. And there's something about the down and dirty, uh, bassy tones, particularly on this record that they capture, which just makes you feel cool doing movement stuff to it. Well, the amount of stuff that Massive Attack's music has been used on in cinema. Oh, God, And yeah. in, um, I mean, obviously, Teardrop was... House, was it? Was it one of the... Was, um, yes, I think I so. Think it was used quite extensively in House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, you mentioned Angel as well. That was used in either Snatch or Lockstock, mm-hmm. I think. Um, those are the only two I can think of off the top of my head. But Massive Attack have been used a lot in, yeah. in kind of cinema. And you got, could just you could just take those two songs yeah. alone and mm. say they've been used, you know, without going to sort of unfinished symphony and yeah. all that kind of thing. Um, so, so this was the first time you heard Massive Attack. Now, I uh, I had heard Massive Attack, and I was aware of Massive Attack before this. So, being a kid who was getting into to kind of Green Day and Offspring and all that kind of stuff around the time that Protection came out. So Protection came out in 1994. That was the previous album. Yeah, that was the second album. Um, the first, the, the self-titled album came out in, 90, I want to say 91. I don't know, 91 or 92, but that, that's a, it was around that era. Along so those li- lines, it, yeah. I was a little bit young for that. I mean, it, funnily enough, when you listen to Unfinished Symphony, that was a song that I liked. But that came out at a time when um, there were some great songs of, of its ilk from that sort of era that, that kind of reminded me of that. And I never liked Unfinished Symphony as much as I liked, say, Dub Be Good To Me by Beats International, which is an absolute fucking tune. Don't recall way. it off my, don't recall it off the you top know, of my head. Wild Jam, Wild Jam, Nitty Gritty, you're listening to the boy from the Big Bad City, this is jam hot. I then, didn't you know, recall the, it, the I, just, I just wanted boom, you to boom, sing boom, it. Boom, <laughs> tell me, yeah, yeah, what an absolute fucking tune that song is. And, um, you um, know, stuff like Soul to Soul, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. all the sort of Soul to Soul hits, so they were really really great i actually interviewed as an aside sorry first sort of person properly in the music industry that i ever interviewed was jazzy b from Soul. really Soul. yeah oh it's a little bit of a diversion as it is part a of bit. what well i did a music journalism course when I was, oh, right. I was doing the metal hammer podcast and i thought i should try and weasel my way and because i would never written for anything before and i didn't really know what i was doing I thought they're not just going to let me write for this magazine. They're not going to go from zero to writing for the, like, the world's biggest metal magazine in like without me doing anything sort of different. So um, I sort of signed up for these this sort of evening courses to to do music journalism, which didn't really teach me that much. But yeah. I did get to interview Jazzy B. Cool, who was great. Yeah, and it was a, that's like a really cool time. So anyway, that came out, and I used to like all that type of music. But then by the time I was listening to sort of Nirvana and Offspring and Green Day, and you know, like fucking, you know what I mean. Um, I found stuff like Tricky and Goldie and Porter's Head um, and 
I suppose the sneaker pimps came a bit after that, but I actually quite like the sneaker mm. pimps. But I found all that stuff quite, quite hard work because it's slower and it's more brutal. You know, there, there's a, a fizzy, instantaneous joy to listening to White Zombie and Rancid that you didn't get with Trip Hop, which Definitely. was hard for a 15-year-old kid who was suddenly like, oh, I love guitars. So, like, so I didn't really get it. I think there was an element of me, I mean, Massive Attack and... I, I, when I was younger, I used to just put all of the uh, quote unquote dance acts under one umbrella. I didn't really think of it as trip hop. Yeah. Um, and so, and maybe that was to do more with my age and knowing less about it. Like I said, it was so like Cotton Eye Joe. No, no. <laughs> I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about like um, Basement Jacks and Chemical Brothers yeah. and uh, Massive Attack, and you know, I would mm. put them all under the same umbrella to begin mm. with. Um, and really it was only, um, being, being loyal to Bristol that made me kind of properly check out and assess Massive Attack. Um, I used to, I used to consider them all kind of part of the same genre almost, Mm. which isn't strictly true. I mean, Massive Attack are very, very different from the Chemical Brothers, really. Um, but I think it's worth pointing out how massive that whole dance explosion was yeah in the mid 90s oh ma- yeah because huge. it kind of it felt like everyone owned a chemical brothers album at that point or a basement jacks record or a daft punk record yeah or a moby record maybe record yeah um i could even chuck in something like jamiroquai which i know yeah. is quite different but they well i say that because to me it was the same thing that um i mean i've said on um multiple times how when I was at school, we didn't really see those kind of genre boundaries in the way that maybe we mm, do now. Yeah. And I think that's quite a good, like what you're talking about, yeah. like seeing them all under one exactly. umbrella. Exactly. I think yeah. that's actually quite good because yeah. I wanted to listen to it. Like when Setting Sun by the Chemical Brothers came out, I was like, well, this is like the fire starter, but sped up. Do you know what I mean? It would, and, and, la- and louder. Yeah. And um, Orbital. Sorry, that orbital. was just another one. That yeah, I the Orb. It. I mean, I remember seeing the Orb um, subbing the Manic Street Preachers at Reading in 1997 and it was fucking unbelievable. Like, Mm. you know, I I think it's, it's a hard thing to capture live dance music. Um, Yeah. At a a music festival like Reading or whatever, like it's a difficult thing to do. And, um, and they were, they were really, really, you know, the visuals were incredible. Same with Chemical, you go and watch Chemical Brothers and it is great. Like it can be really, really great. Um, But I, yeah, so, you know, in the same way as, Pulp weren't the same as Suede mm-hmm. or Oasis, or, mm-hmm. or, but it all kind of fell under Britpop. Under the same umbrella. It yeah, just, yeah. you know, when I was listening to sort of dance music around that time, which didn't really happen that much. I'm um, the same. Uh, I really like the Chemical Brothers and I kind of wanted to like Massive Attack because they seemed to get put on festival bills. Like again, I think that they played... Um, the Phoenix Festival in 1996, the second to last Phoenix Festival, um, which I think I've said a bunch of times. There was a, there's a vid, there was a, uh, a, I've recorded it on ITV. It was ITV at the Phoenix Festival, and they just showed every band that played that weekend, and and it, it was amazing. Like for for the time, that is an, it was an amazing lineup. So it was head, it was four days, headlined by David Bowie, Neil Young, the Sex Pistols, and wow. I believe the 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 fourth headliner may well have been Massive Attack. One excellent eclectic bill. And yeah, and it featured the Prodigy um, subbing Neil Young. Um, Whoa! <laughs> yeah. Um, Skunk and Ansi, uh, Terror Vision, 
um, Manic Street Preachers, oh, Fun yes, Loving please. Criminals, yes, Foo Fighters, yes. um, lo- loads and loads and loads of people. It was a re- like the line. It was a fucking really, really brilliant, wicked lineup. Okay. And uh, and they showed Massive Attack on that, and that was kind of the first time I actually got to see one of those bands. And I thought yeah. this will be really, really good. And they had about four songs of them, and because it was you know Foo Fighters doing Weenie Beanie before it i yep. sort of looked at massive attack and i was like yeah not really mm. this does nothing for me mm. do you know mm. what i mean even a song like like they, I remember they had karma coma and i remember thinking this is a wicked song but jump around do something like, yeah. where's the end and it just felt really like unenergetic to yeah. me yeah but that was you know that was a 16 year old kid who was listening to corn's like perspective on that considering that I mean, this has a lot of plaudits, this record. It was nominated for a Mercury Music Prize. Uh-huh. Uh, it won a Q Award for the Best Album. Um, and it's very much considered a classic of the genre, I would say. Mm-hmm. Does it fit in with your criteria for a classic record? Uh, yes and no. Mm. I think yes, because I think it's really, really, really brilliant. So on in on that criteria alone, yes. Um, uh, it's more of a, I guess it's more of a genre classic than an out and yeah. out classic. Yeah, I think I'd agree because I feel like um, this and maybe Dummy by Porter Z. Yep. Max and Quay by um, uh, by Tricky would be the kind of the three big ones from this kind mm-hmm. of explosion. Mm-hmm. This is probably the most. Well, no, I think Dummy's probably the most famous one of those records. Maybe. Yeah, it's it's diff- again. It's difficult for me because being in Bristol. Uh, well, again, it was illegal to uh, not like Massive Attack and, and Porter's Head because yeah. Porter's Head were from around there. It wasn't actually Bristol, but it's very very. Close. I think there's more of a um, a romanticized magic about Dummy. Yeah, yeah. Than there I, is about um, mezzanine. I think mezzanine is just considered. Uh, I, I personally, I actually think mezzanine is a, a much more eclectic and interesting record than dummy. dummy. Mm. But I think dummy is mm. a more. It was well, it was more ahead of its time because it was ahead of its time. Mm. I'd never heard anything like like Dummy when it came out. Dummy was earlier as well, wasn't it? Was Dummy it was 94. 95. For 95, 95, right, mm. okay. Yeah. So same. I'd never, ever heard anything like that before. It took like, it, no, was, I it was very, very alien a sound to me. Whereas yeah. I think there's more stuff that you can grab onto on Mezzanine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it feels yeah. like, yeah, it's a difficult one. So it feels like it, it's not the classic. Hmm. And it's odd because I think it probably is translated over to more people. I think it's probably bigger in other parts of the world i mean this is sort of one of they're one of the few bands from that era in britain that did break america there's actually a documentary that yeah. i've spoken about before um called live forever which is about the kind of brit pop years which is is great to see um he's got some great interviews with noel and liam and damon Albarn on it but and, and jarvis cocker has got some great interviews with jarvis cocker on it as well but it's a really it's a really hodgepodge mess of a film like it came out in about 2002 2003 so it's not long enough after Britpop finished. Right, 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 right. But Massive Attack are in it. Whereas there are bands like Supergrass and Suede and um, 
who else was I thinking? Suede, Supergrass, and Radiohead are just three of the bands not even mentioned mm. in the film. Whereas there's a big thing about Massive Attack and there's a big thing about Bristol. And it's a bit like, well, I don't really think this has got anything to do with no. Oasis and Blur. No. At all. No, no, no. But I yet agree. You, you, but yeah, it's in there. Yeah, but there's a lot of stuff. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff with uh, w- with Massive Attack. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it was an odd one that. But I mean, it, I think I, the reason I just sort of digressed a bit then, but it, but it it feels like that al- this album's crossed over a lot more than Dummy has. I think you're probably right. It certainly did. It's their most commercially successful record mm-hmm. by a, a fair way. Yeah. Um, and um, I feel like surely, I mean, maybe you know, I'd be very interested to know if anyone listening to this doesn't know teardrop or angel those you know those two and songs in particular just feel like these songs that it's almost like um uh angels by uh robbie williams, robbie williams you know <laughs> like, uh, yeah. not not in terms of quality but no. in terms of everyone knows it yeah. you know like surely you have heard teardrop mm. at some point in your life or, or well, angel. Yeah. even if you don't know that you have you have exactly I, i'd be so stunned if people haven't mm. um I think um, the reason I kind of brought up is it uh, a classic in your estimation is because I like as I alluded to before I when this album is good I think it is absolutely outrageously stunning yeah. I think uh, Angel and Teardrop are incredible I think the song that is massively massively underrated is Dissolved Girl yeah that that song is absolutely unbelievable um, and I also like the two um, uh, what are they called. Uh, exchange tracks there's uh exchange which is like track five and then it's reprised effect- effectively at yeah, the end yeah, of the yeah, album um i think the one thing i would say about this album is there are uh, uh filler tracks feels too harsh but there are definite peaks and troughs i would say yes i, I think that's fair i would say i mean the reason why i was like yeah it's great is that, I, I mean, for me, the first four songs on the record are so good. Are so good. I mean, I don't think it ever recovers from Inertia Creeps. I think Inertia Creeps is the best song on the album. Oh, right. Yeah, Interesting. Uh, it, I think it's... I mean, I was going to sort of talk about this as as a whole. I think what's great about Massive Attack is... I mean, you're a big post-rock fan, and we've been speaking about post-rock quite a lot, and we always yeah. have done in this podcast. And we've spoken about dynamics and use of dynamics yeah yeah the build yeah. and inertia creeps and the way they build and then stop yeah. and then let it go and let it fizzle out before you think something's going to happen and then it goes into something completely different and then it comes back to it later the use of dynamics and the use of of and the threat like the darkness and, and the threat that they didn't really have as much like the, you know i think there are bits on the first two records that are you know that kind of allude to this sort of feeling but this is super dark and you know again i don't think that's something that they sort of invented really like in in this scene because dummy had come out before that and dummy is a very very somber album if you listen to some of the tricky stuff that came out a few years before very 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 somber but this is this is pitch black this record it's interesting to wonder because this album was created under extreme uh difficulties and and it was very fractious for the band um and what i am led to believe is that the fractiousness 
there we go, there's a word, um, was started because one member wanted to go into this darker mm. uh, territory, which I wonder, I mean, I've not actually thought about this until you sort of mentioned it there, but I wonder if that was uh, because he was um, influenced by Dummy, maybe. Well, I think, Don't I know, mean, but by, by all accounts, it's, um, it's uh, 3D. Yes. Or uh, Robert Del Naja, to give him his his real name, um, was by all accounts incredibly influenced at that time by Gang of Four and Wire. Gang and, of Four's the big one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and post punk and, and trying to get the feeling of those, the kind of. Um, I, I speak about it a lot when I speak about those records, that very stark chrome, metallic, not metallic like, you know, Megadeth, but metallic as in just stark. Uh, bare sound do you mm. know what i mean well um, the 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 uh, working title for the album was damaged goods which is the name of uh uh Four's first single mm. so yeah so uh so he was going for that and i think you know they're a band who came from you know they're they're a, a band who came from well i guess they did it li- they, they came from kind of dance culture didn't they they definitely yeah, I'd say came so, yeah. from the sort of yeah, 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 culture yeah, yeah. so it's quite an odd thing for a band that have come through that and they're obviously influenced by that kind of UK R&B and soul. Um, there's a lot of like samples of stuff like um, Gregory Isaac yep. uh, on this, on this record. And, um, but then, but it, it isn't, but that is an odd mix because it's um, the, the, the girl from the Cocktoo Twins is the, is, yeah. is, whose uh, name is Elizabeth Fraser. That sounds right. Is um, that her name? I think it is. She does teardrop. She does teardrop. Yeah. yeah, and a couple of other bits and bobs here and there. But like to have, you know, this idea that we're going to make this, one of you wants to do his Gang of Four album and bring in the Cocktoo Twins, this kind of really bleak gothic, you know. Um, I think Lou Reed's, just, I'm just looking at it on um, uh, Wikipedia now. Uh, Ringston, um, Ringston, sorry. Um, Lou Reed has got a, a songwriting credit on that. Yeah, isn't he? Yeah, he, I was going to say it's yeah. a sample, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So there are a lot of... Um, that disparate very very disparate influences. influences yeah does it does the record sound like an album made by three men who are pulling in different directions there are three people pulling in different directions then to you a little bit but i think mm. they kind of be, I, I think they managed to straddle it really well yeah i i think it i think it works surpri- i mean often great art is made from bands pulling in different directions mm. the first album that springs to mind is white pony so yeah. you know um so that's I'm not saying that's a bad thing necessarily, but I think at its best, this record straddles that line beautifully. Yeah, you know, let's take Angel. You've got that dark two-note bass riff, which is so, even now sounds heavy as fuck. Mm. Like 21 years later, um, mixed with that gorgeous female vocal, which is sort of you know in the higher registers. When when you're doing stuff like that, when they're doing stuff like that, it works so brilliantly. But I think at, at its weakest, it it sounds a little incohere, incoherent is maybe what I'd say, or a little unfocused. I mean, I think even at its worst, and I'm trying to think what the worst song on it is. I think there's a... The, see, I think, like I say, the first four are... You, I mean, you mentioned Exchange, which is where it kind of drops off a bit for me. Right, okay. And, and not because I don't think it's a good song. I think it's a kind of eight out of ten song after four tens. Okay. Do you know should what I, I mean? Should I, should I tell you my least favourite song on the record? Go on then. Funnily enough, and it's rare that this is the case, but it's actually the title track, Mezzanine. Right. 
Um, it just, I, I think by that point in the record, we're probably around, I'd estimate we're around 50, 45 minutes, 50 minutes in at that point. And I'm just kind of a bit done with it by that point. Yeah. And I just think it's a bit of a dip. There's a song afterwards, which is eight minutes or so, yeah. um, which does eventually build to something fucking awesome. See, but I it love takes. That. Oh really? Love you love that, that song. song? Okay, okay. It. Takes... I was going to say, I, I, the re- I can understand why you think mezzanine feels weaker because it's in between Black Milk and Group Four. Oh, uh, fair enough. Amazing, I think. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think I'm far keener on. Um, oh, this is something that a subject that's come up a lot recently, but I'm mm. actually far keener when this record is using female vocalists than the male vocalists um, because I think that disparity between the really dark sound that they often went for on this record and the yeah. high-pitched female vocal that i've as a used example on angel just works so well whereas um when you've got you know what's his name 3d mm. um like scanning over it or whatever it just doesn't have the same effect for me personally right, okay. Um, I think it's very good. I mean, I like both of those. Um, I like both of those sounds. I record. don't. I don't. I don't I like dislike the male vocals. I. I just think it's so much stronger when it's female vocals. I mean, it, th- th- those are the kind of. I think they're th- they're the iconic. Yeah. Bits definitely. Yeah. I mean, they are that they are the bits in the album that people will remember, and they are they hit harder. But yeah. Like I say, you know, Inertia Creeps has not got a female vocal, and I think the the that is and that for me that, that's my favorite song on the record yeah and, and it's got um i don't know i think it's the instrumentation so when they get when they get for me this this album works the best when the instrumentation is like tar thick super dark yes and uh, and and even and you know I, I do think you're right to say when those when the vocals kind of are pitched high above it it is does it's it's amazing yeah but i just think the instrumentation means more to me because I think when they get that and that's why in the middle I mean you mentioned exchange I think it kind of brightens up a little bit after the first four that are so dark I think it kind of brightens a little bit in exchange I think exchange dissolved girl man next door that's when it's a little bit I wouldn't call dissolved girl bright well no not bright but I just (laughs) no I think I personally think dissolved girls the heaviest song on the album oh really I would argue yeah that that to me is basically a rock song um mm. and the darkness of it is it's bordering into metal territory I, i'm not going to call it a metal song because i don't <laughs> yeah, think I it is yeah. but I, th- I think it's kind of i think it's got a toe on the metal kind of genre if that makes sense you know yeah maybe um i i, I mean and actually that's something that we haven't quite hit on you know we talk about heavy albums and stuff like mm. this this is a really heavy album. oh yeah that's really heavy. very very heavy yeah and you can imagine, like, you know, I, I would, I can listen to this and you go, I wouldn't be surprised if a band like Cult of Luna took inspiration from something like this. Oh, not in the slightest. I'd love, oh God, I'd love to hear, can you imagine like Cult of Luna covering Angel or something? Or, uh, yeah, yeah. that would be amazing. I mean, Dillinger covered Angel. They did, yeah. Um, it was a very straight cover, but, yeah. um, you know, like... Yeah, I, I think it undoubtedly has had influence on the rock and metal world. Yeah, I, sure. I, th- I think, you know, and, and they were trying to bring in elements of rock as well, which was part of the reason mm. why, you know, uh, tensions. Yeah, I think there's a chat like when you, you I've read an interview and there was chat about like the cure 
They were right. they were kind of um, they were influenced by the Cure, and obviously you know we mentioned Wire and, and Gang of Four and bands like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think yeah, they've. It's. I, I've always found there was a kind of there was a a, a, a kind of gothicness if that's a word to a lot of those Bristol bands. I think you you just look at the cover of Dummy, for example. Mm. Look at the cover of this. You know, you look at some of Tricky's videos, mm. and they're really dark. Like mm. I remember looking at Tricky and seeing the video before I heard the music, and thinking he's gonna sound like Marilyn Manson. Mm. Mm. Because if you see some of the promo shots from them, like you know, again com- comparing it to Britpop, they had far, far, far more in common with I don't know Nine Inch Nails or mm. Ministry or. You know, maybe not Ramstein, a bit not as cartoony as Ramstein, but it had far more in common aesthetically with those kind of bands than it did what was going on in Britain. That kind of day glow, cup of tea, cup of tea, and oh, I'll have a bit of a no. Remember the sixties, cup of tea. Let's have a cup of tea and a pint of beer. Remember the sixties, <laughs> watch the footer on me head, son. All that kind of shit that was going on. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, Britpop. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm Britpop. joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, I'm talking about Britpop. That's what that was essentially, wasn't it? I think fetishizing th- your granddad's record. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, Bristol uh, has always been very liberal and open-minded, and as a result, probably, well, almost certainly. I mean, I lived there for 18 years of my life. It it, it allows those more gothic elements to um, to exist, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so you know i mean bristol's like if you go to bristol it's just full of amazing graffiti and banksies from there and all that kind of thing so there's a very kind of open-minded feel to it it's it's um so yeah i can i can see why that would have come out of that i mean it's it's weird it's cool that you say that i've never really thought of it like that but it's almost Mm. because I'm sort of too close to it, you know, having lived there. So yeah. it's, it's interesting to know what outsiders think of Bristol. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there, yeah. there was, I mean, I think I've said this before, there was, uh, someone gave me a video of Zane Lowe fronting um, Alternative Nation yeah. on MTV in, a, in a, around this time. And there, you know, I got it and there was a Tricky video on it and there was a Portishead video on it. And there was Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then there was also like Stone Roses and um, like the the, the Verb and, and stuff. And, and it was like, well, this, if you had to go, what are these more like? Definitely more like the others. And yeah, that was the thing that I was looking at it going, I want you to be heavy. And I, I was too young for me to go, ah, it is heavy. Yeah. I just don't know what heavy is. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not heavy in... You know, it's not Metallica. Yeah, 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 um, exactly. But but it is. But um, but yeah. But this album, this album went in number one. Yeah, it did in, in the UK um, chart. quite a few places. Quite, yeah, quite a few places. In fact, actually, I'm going to get up exactly where it went in at number one. Um, Australia, uh, European albums number one. <laughs> right. Iceland, Ireland, New Zealand, and the UK. Number 60 in the US, which is the second lowest it charted in, in anywhere in the world, only Japan, it got to number 70. It, uh, it, it kind of peaked at number 72 in the Japanese albums. But that is, when you look at it, it's twos and threes and fours or, or one pretty much all over. Yeah, it was a gigantic hit. You know, yeah. um, and has been certified uh, two times platinum in Europe, uh, has sold 560,000 thousand copies in the united states 
as I said. Um, I think it's around 4 million worldwide, mm, I believe. I don't know how up to date that is. But yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, Which is less than you would think, considering those chart positions. I yeah. would have thought it would be more than that, but yeah. yeah around yeah. that time, especially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it did. And, and also it went on and, and had um, quite the legacy of, I mean, I think the enemy named it in the top, 200 or top 250 of the 500 greatest albums ever made yes yes uh when you look at the kind of scores that it got from um where the the place the various places it was reviewed in it got five out of five in all music a minus in entertainment weekly five in the guardian four and a half in the los angeles times eight out of ten in the enemy not a 9.3 on pitchfork um i mean for pitchfork four in rolling stone album club guide five out of five in uncut yeah, it is. It is definitely. You know, we've kind of had a chat about whether or not it's considered a quote unquote classic. Um, I think we're very much in the minority. Well, it it definitely is a it definitely yeah. is considered a classic. Um, yeah. I think my criteria for a classic album is far harsher than a lot of people's. Mm. Um, like I I demand that like every track be absolute like very inc- very 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 good mm. um i think there's other criteria to be had though i mean this is the thing like, yeah, I, I mean actually course. i say we're being harsh i mean i mean you're being harsh. <laughs> i don't think i'm being harsh i don't think it's a perfect record it's a i'd give it it's a nine out of ten for me okay it's absolutely a nine out of ten and i think for being the um for being the most commercially successful album in a very unique kind of underground odd scene from yeah. the early 90s i think on for that alone it deserves its status as a classic record yeah 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 I, i'm not trying to take away its no, status no, as know. a classic record in any way shape or form um and certainly as i said a definite genre classic yeah yeah yeah, it's yeah. this and dummy are the only two you can really from that kind of bristol trip-hop scene they're the only two you can really argue um for being the kind of the most important record. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. And and this, uh, um, I, th- I think I think in I would probably give it more of an, an eight out of ten. But that's you know to be that's not a bad mark at no. all. <laughs> like that's not a bad score. I think not it's, great from you considering you gave In Flames six out of ten. Uh, five out of <laughs> five ten. Five out of ten. Sorry, I thought, <laughs> I thought it was six. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Cool, that still doesn't make it much better, does it? But, <laughs> <laughs> was I too kind? Yeah. Oh, right, Five okay. out of ten for that In Flames album. I mean, yeah. it was like the, the worst reviewed thing in the whole issue of that Metal Hammer. Must know. have been a good month. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it really wasn't. But yeah. Um, but Anything yeah. else to say about Massive Attack? Um, no, not really. No, no. I'd rather talk about In Flames, definitely. Um, no, uh, not really. No. I mean, I just, as, as I said, I for me... This is a, a very, very, very good album. And I love, I tell you, I love going back to it. I did love going back to it. Yeah. Because I've not listened to it for a fucking long time, for years. Actually, that is something worth mentioning, considering it's come from this dance from scene, elect, considering it's electronic music, let's say. A lot mm. of it is electronic music. Amazing how well it's dated. Yeah, it really has. Um, you know, 21 years old this year, and uh, it could moat the majority of it. Sounds like it could have been recorded yesterday. Yeah. So fair play. That is yeah. that is astonishing. Yeah. I would say that. Very, very good indeed. So there you go. That was our chat on Mezzanine by Massive Attack. And I want to say 
Yeah, a big thanks to Tim Wilson for suggesting that. Yeah, that an excellent. Suggestion. That's a really good one. Thank you, man. Yeah, we'll be doing um, Devin Townsend's Ocean Machine. We'll be doing Two Parts Viper by Sixty Eight. We'll be doing a whole bunch of other of these coming up um, yeah. very very soon. As I said, go to patreoncom forward slash Right Act Podcast if you're getting this in the sort of the distant future. Uh, and um, and you haven't paid for it, and you're like, oh, I would have liked to have heard this twelve months ago. Well, you could have done, couldn't you, mate? You could have done. Um, but if you have, if you're getting it straight away, then we thank you for your contribution, and we'll be back next week to do another one of these. We will. So thanks very much. <laughs>